The Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that the chief end of man or the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, there are two ways you can say that. You can say that positively and you can say it negatively. The way we just said it would be positively. The way we might say it negatively is this, that the purpose of man is to not sin. And they are both saying essentially the same thing, right? Because sinning will always be falling short of giving God all glory by failing to enjoy him supremely above everything else. And we fail to enjoy him often because we are ensnared by loving and embracing things that we think are more enjoyable than him. These other things give us this temporary boost of pleasure, but when, what happens is we find out and we figure out that they are so quickly fleeting that we have to come back to them because they're not satisfying to us. It's quite literally the water that makes you thirst again. Whereas Christ would say that he is the living water, that when we drink from him, we will never thirst again. He is sufficient and satisfying. And so in the text we are covering in Psalm 119, what we're going to find is um, a lesson on how to glorify God by enjoying him. And the result of this ultimate purpose will be to walk in righteousness, or as the text says, to be blameless, or to keep your way pure. Charles Spurgeon often referred to Psalm 119 as the golden alphabet, and the central theme for the longest chapter in the Bible. We're not going to do the whole thing, just the first two letters of the alphabet. Um, but the central theme of this whole chapter is the word of the Lord. It contains 22 stanzas that illustrate for us how to glorify God by knowing his word and finding our joy in him and in his statutes. It is a beautiful psalm that targets our hearts. It reveals and corrects our desires. So the goal this morning will be to commit our hearts to a couple of things to help us live out this ultimate purpose. We must seek God with all our hearts. And we must treasure God's word in our hearts. So look with me at verses 1 through 8. Wrong one. There we go. It says this. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Verse 1 and 2, look with me. Here it says, how happy are those whose way is blameless. They talk about those who enjoy the Lord, those who have found and live according to this purpose that we're discussing this morning, that their way is blameless, or another way to say that, that it's perfect, and that they keep God's decrees and seek him with all their heart. Now, there's something different about people who live this way, who live according to this ultimate purpose. 
what we can observe about people that live this way is that their way is sure. It's consistent. It's not lost. They don't deviate from the path because they are focused. Well, how do they live? Verse 1 says that they live according to the Lord's instructions. And in verse 3, it says that they do nothing wrong. Why? Because they walk in his way, in God's way. Their way is sure. It is consistent. It is not lost. It is focused because it isn't their way, but it is their creator's way. And God's ways are unchanging. They are as sure as sure as the direction of north. Now, that is a what you would see if you look onto a compass, right? Those are your cardinal directions. North, south, east, and west. East and west. Went the wrong way. See, that's, that's how I did in land nav. But anyway, probably if you served in the military, you've taken a land navigation course. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone has to do that in boot camp at some point. And this is where they give you a compass. They give you this little map. They hide some stuff in the forest, and they say, go find it. All right? And you are to use this lensatic compass um, to find these different hidden objects. And for a magnetic compass to work correctly, it has to point to true north. It uses, I'm not going to get into the science of that because I will mess it up, but it uses magnets and all this stuff and points north, okay? We can know that it points north. That's what it's intended to do. But what happens if your compass gets broken? What happens if you end up in a magnetic field and it just spins like you see on the movies? Well, that's okay because God also has done something magnificent he created this great star called polaris or the northern star and this star never changes in the sky no matter where you are in the earth this star remains the same and you can always find north if you can see this star kids if you want to know how to find the star find the big dipper and the big dipper rotates around the northern star no matter where you're at in the earth so if you can find the big dipper you can find the northern star and find your way to north. If our ultimate purpose is to not sin or to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to know how to do this, we must walk in his way. And to walk in his way, we must seek him in his word. God's word is our true north that leads us to becoming more like Christ. And so I'm sure everyone here desires to look more like Christ, to be more like Christ, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are good things to have and to exhibit in your life. They bless others and bless you. But whether you have this fruit is contingent on two things. First is whether or not you know the Father through the Son. Because if you do not know the Father through the Son, you will not exhibit this fruit, period. It is a gift from the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is not in you, then you do not have this fruit. The other thing it's contingent on is whether or not you seek him with your heart. You cultivate this fruit, and you do that by looking to him, to know him deeper in his word. Now, many profess Christ crucified. And we believe Jesus, 
But what I have found is that many don't actually seek him outside of Sunday morning. They come to church, they check that box, they profess Christ crucified, but they don't try to know him every day in the rhythms of their life. They seek countless things more than the Father. And we must know God and we must seek to know him better. And in this pursuit, what you will find is, is real joy. You will, your desires will begin to change. They will go from corrupted desires to righteous desires. You will walk in God's ways. Why? Because you have fellowship with God. Charles Spurgeon said once that heart fellowship with God is enjoyed through a love of his word, which is God's way of communicating with our souls by his Holy Spirit. Now, you know whether or not you're seeking the Lord with all your heart. You know that. You can look at your calendar. You can kind of um, check out what you spend your time on, how you spend your money, all of those things that you have at your disposal. And how you spend your time says a lot about how, who you seek and what you desire above all things. So that's a real quick test you can do of yourselves is lay it out before you. Am I seeking God with all my heart? And you will quickly find the answer. But even if you start to get honest with yourself, what we know is Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful more than anything else. And you will remain your greatest defense attorney. You will come up with every seemingly excusable reason why you don't seek the Lord with all your heart and why it's okay. Now, we know that going in, and so we have to push back against this. I'm here to tell you that without true north, you will be lost. You will lament like verse 5 says here in Psalm 119, if only my ways were committed to your statutes. If only, then. Don't make an excuse of why you haven't sought him. Deal with your reality now. Repent of your sin. And the Bible makes it really simple by giving us this clear next step. In 1 Chronicles 15, 2, it says, If you seek him, he will be found by you. That's our next step. And the main way we seek him is in his word. Like the psalmist desperately wants the people of God to get that he wrote the longest chapter in the Bible, fulfilling the whole Hebrew alphabet for the people of God to recite in song, to delight in the, in the word of God. This is how important this fact is. There are so many people, and I hear this often in the work I do, that say, man, if God would just speak to me, all I want is God to talk to me, to show up, and the cloud of smoke like he did in the Old Testament and speak to me. And then I'll change my life. Then I'll adjust fires. And I, I like to say to him, man, have you opened your Bible? When you open your Bible, God is speaking. It is his very words that he has for us to reveal himself to us. This is his special revelation to us. Yes, we can look out into the world and see that there is a creator, there's a designer behind everything of the world like Romans 1 talks about. But here in the word of God, we have his special revelation to us. If we want to know our creator in a deeper, better way, we must come here to seek him out. 
If you want to hear God speak to you, open your Bible because the bread of life is here in God's revelation to us. New Year's is a few days away. And like Pastor Stephen said a couple minutes ago, and we make all these resolutions, right? I'm going to get in the gym. That, for me, lasts about two weeks, if I'm lucky, right? And y'all know I don't believe in luck. So that's just my own poor will. Um, how fickle are our feelings, right? But if we set forth clear rhythms in our spiritual disciplines, what we will find is continued growth. One of the rhythms you already have, I know most of you have in your life, is that you come to church every Sunday. I'm here. I hear the gospel preached. I proclaim it in song to one another. I um, pray and I confess my sins. I do these things as a corporate body. But when I'm by myself in my personal spiritual disciplines, that's where most of the time we find ourselves lacking. But that is where the greatest fruit is. That's where we dive in and are taught directly by the Holy Spirit, by God's word. And so with this New Year's coming up, think about how you are preparing to seek the Lord. How will you prepare to seek the Lord in 2021? My prayer for you is that you will commit your heart to reading scripture this next year and the rest of your life. And now on the table outside by the offering box, there are several handouts. Two of those handouts are Bible reading plans. One is going to take you through the whole Bible in a year. It's got little boxes, so if you're like me and you like filling in squares and stuff because you're OCD, hey, that one's for you, okay? Commit to reading his word. Commit to knowing his way, and you will know your way. There's also another plan. Check this out. It's really great. For Christians who are younger in their faith, who are older in their faith, kids, adults, is a catch-all. It's called the Seven Arrows Plan. And the folks at Christian Standard Bible put that together. And we contacted them, and they sent it to us for free and said, give it to your people, but don't charge them a thing. We weren't going to do anyway. So, cool. So those are outside as well. And what that'll do is it'll take you through the main story of the Bible. If you've ever wondered, man, man, pastor, he preaches all these texts, but how does it connect? This will help you understand what's happening throughout Scripture, and it will help you understand the whole picture more clearly. Those are two tools that will help you seek God in his word. But what we cannot do is just read the Bible like it's some sort of blog or a social media post. It's not just information. It's meant to transform your life. We must treasure God's word in our hearts, which takes us to the second letter in the golden alphabet, verses 9 through 16. Look with me. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
Again, we see in the text how we're to walk out this great purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. In verse 11, it says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I have enjoyed you, therefore I am now glorifying you. I am glorifying God, enjoying him forever. This is the purpose laid out in the text. It reminds me of a parable Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, verse 44, when he compares the kingdom of heaven to a treasure, a buried treasure. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and then reburied. And then he went home in his joy and sold everything he had and went and bought the field. This is much like the psalmist who says in our text that he rejoices in the way revealed by God's decrees as much, in all, as much as in all riches. The way of the kingdom of heaven is our treasure. God's word is the treasure we must take to our hearts through meditation and study. And so ask yourself, what is keeping you from selling everything to have this treasure? What glorifies God, or like verse 12 says, blesses God, is when we are taught by his statutes. The way we are taught by the Lord is through study of his word and applying it to our lives. So there's another step, right? We seek the Lord by reading his words in scripture. But we, to treasure his word, it takes more effort. It takes an additional step of study and meditation and trying to understand and hide what we have learned into our hearts. Martin Luther once explained about how he studied the Bible by saying, first, he would grab the whole tree of the, the whole apple tree and he'd shake it and get the ripest fruit off the ground. And then he would climb the tree and shake each limb. And then he would shake each branch. And then he would shake each twig. And lastly, he would look under each leaf. Luther's trying to express that he, the, the goal, the aim when we come to the Bible is to get as much fruit as we possibly can by turning over every stone or looking under every leaf. Is my hope that your treasure will be God's word and you will strive to get every piece of fruit you can each time you encounter God's word. As you study the Bible, do you leave transformed? These are questions we must ask ourselves and make adjustments if we're not. So when we come to God's word and we're studying his word, it should call to us for some change, some biblical change. We should leave this encounter transformed or at least more aware of our hearts and who God is. Our study should lead us to seek the Lord and treasures word in our heart. What study should always include is prayer, Bible reading, Asking good questions of the text to understand God deeper and to see how you need to change. But our aim in Bible study should always be to take what we learned from our heads to our hearts. If it stays up here, it transforms nothing. It's just information. And now you have cool Bible facts. You can play on apps, which is useless. To be transformed, we have to make it move from our head to our heart, and we do that through meditation. Meditation should be like mastication. That's a farming word, okay? 
my I said it to my my dad the other day, and he was like, "What? What is that word?" So, mastication is a thing certain animals do, like cows. Okay, they're called ruminoids, I believe. Um, and what cows do is they chew up grass. They get all the nutrients out of it. Wayne, am I saying this right? They get all the nutrients out of it, then they throw it up. And guess what they do? They chew it up again. They eat, eat their own vomit, they chew it up, and then spit it back up, and then they chew it up again. But what the cow is doing, this animal is doing, is it's getting all the nutrients out of the cud so that it can be full and so it can be vibrant. And so this is kind of what meditation is. Biblical meditation is we, we digest it, and then we look at it, we think about it, or throw it up, and then we chew it up again, and we continue that process until we move it from our head to our hearts. And what you'll find in that process is, you know, Bible memorization. Just through meditating on Scripture, you will be more effective of hiding it in your heart. You will memorize scripture accidentally, almost. What you will find is a more vibrant and rich prayer life. One where you begin now to pray the very words of God back to God. I said it last year, but I think it's such a good picture. But one, one, uh, one day someone asked Charles Spurgeon, hey, what's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And his response was, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? That is the essence of biblical meditation. As we breathe in God's word, we breathe out prayers back to him, and we're having a conversation. So good Bible study should include these things. We should also, in our study, engage in the text for the purpose of application. We must leave changed. So do you look for ways you need to confess your sin to Christ? What changes do you need to implement in your life? Do you think through how you will go about applying these truths? Our aim, like the psalmist, should be to not wander from the Lord, but to press in and delight in him. To help you study the Bible like this, also on the table, we've put a Bible study method handout. There's a, a full workup in detail, and then there's a bookmark. So you can put in your Bible. It's got the questions, all that stuff. You can whip, whip it out and get after it. A good friend of mine um, a couple of years ago was uh, completely lost. Uh, he had been a Christian for several years. He was a Cobra pilot in the Marine Corps. He actually flew missions overhead for for my guys when we were in Afghanistan. He's a very sweet friend of mine. And uh, a couple years ago, he found himself very lost. He knew Jesus, but always found himself easily ensnared by all these false treasures that we've talked about. It's fool's gold. Whether it was his own physical ability he would boast in or his intellectualism, he's an incredibly smart individual, or just those deep sins that kept calling him back. He found himself in a ship with no rudder, and he walked away from the faith and the truth. But, man, God um, is gracious, and he's merciful. And God in his grace and mercy humbled my friend 
and he brought him back into the fold and he gave him a glimpse of his purpose. So my buddy, he kind of figured out um, that he needed to repent of his waywardness, number one. And then number two, he needed to look at his life and look at what was missing. What do I need to do differently? And one of the things he realized that was missing was God's word. There was no rhythm in his life for knowing God. There was no rhythm for prayer or church or transparency or accountability. And he knew these things needed to change or he was going to be right back where he was. So the first biblical commitment he made was to read the Bible daily. So I talked to him yesterday and he told me these three things are the three things that God taught him from a year reading scripture every day. Number one, he learned this year who God is and how he can trust in his sovereignty. You see, church, in God's word, we learn more about the living word, Christ. And as we learn more about our Savior, we learn more about the Father. Jesus said in John twelve forty five that the one who sees him sees the one who sent him. When we look upon Christ, when we, when we study who he is, we learn more about the Father through the Son. He said the second thing that he learned this year from reading Scripture daily was the various spiritual resources available to him to kill sin. What we tend to do when we're disconnected from God's Word is believe we have a handle on our sin. We become like someone trying to put a leash on an apex predator and take it for a walk and expect not to get beaten and mauled. This isn't what happens. When we are disconnected from God's word, we get bit. I'm sure we could survey the room and get testimony after testimony of these things happening in our own lives. But God's word shows us how to kill sin and how to do it violently so that it dies. The third thing my friend learned from reading scripture all year was wisdom. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. Things like how to deal wisely in relationships and in, in the workplace. Um, or how to wisely make decisions. Whatever. Um, God's word is full of wisdom for us daily. And so on this December 31st, my friend will have read through the entire Bible completely for the first time in his life. I'm so proud of him. He said if he could share one thing with you about delighting, studying, meditating, and reading God's word would be this, that his capacity is bent to sin. But God's word counsels you out of that capacity. And the result in your life will be joy. So spend this next year committed to knowing God. The three fruits of this commitment given to us from the psalmist this morning are holiness, joy, and worship. And what you will find is that you have become more like Christ. And you are filled with the joy of knowing God and your purpose in him. And the result of this knowledge and this joy is true worship to the king who saved you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, what we must do with this found purpose is proclaim it. We can't miss this. 
We have to proclaim what we have been taught. Look at verse 13. It says, with my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. What we have to do is recount what God has taught us, how he has counseled us, the truths of the gospel of Jesus, that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. We must proclaim this good news to each other, to our children, to our neighbors. Every time you open up God's word, every time something supernatural happens in the life of a believer, because the Holy Spirit is at work in you and in teaching you, we encounter him through the Holy Spirit. So let this encounter drive you towards worship, holiness, and joy. Let's pray.